0: Good morning, good morning. Thank you so much for joining me. This is the podcast God's Holy Word. I am your host, Leslie Sullivan, and this is episode 11. And I wanted to take a look at some scripture here in the book of Exodus because it really got my attention. And um, I can't remember if I've said this before previously because I've done a couple other podcasts as well, but one of my favorite movies is The Ten Commandments. And I can't explain it, but I felt called to re-watch that movie again. And my favorite one is from 1956 with Charlton Heston. And th- there's a verse in the book of Exodus that really brought to mind the scene where Moses is floating down the river in a basket as a baby. And God was guiding that basket down the River Nile. And what I think sometimes we forget with dealing with this story of Moses and just the Holy Scriptures in general is to look at the context. The context of this is the Israelites, also known as the Hebrews, are enslaved uh, under Pharaoh in Egypt. And, you know, the the economy of the Egyptians, we tend to forget just how rich and luxurious Egypt was back then. Because all we see today in terms of the pyramids and the pharaohs is we see you know, archaeological sites. You know, we we see the past. We're not seeing it as what it really was. And, yes, these things are really beautiful and neat to see. I would love to go visit there in Egypt and see all these things. But you have to take into context just how wealthy a pharaoh was and who all worked for pharaoh, especially when helping his daughter or his family in that respect. So here in this chapter, it's the second chapter in the book of Exodus, we see that Pharaoh's daughter is down by the river, and a lot of women back then, or you know, people back then, they would go to the to the river to bathe because they did not have water that was brought into their homes yet. Um, the Romans did way back in the day, but that technology of having plumbing like that, indoor plumbing, was not within the Egyptian culture. So if you were if you needed to take a bath, you went down to the river. So what's interesting here is that Pharaoh's daughter was down by the river, and she was never alone because she she is of wealth. She is of importance. She is the, the king's daughter, basically. And so, you know, back in those days, you know, daughters did not have as much freedom as we have now, especially if you were rich because you wanted to make sure that your daughter was protected. And so she has maid servants she has servants there with her possibly some slaves not hebrew slaves by any means but there were different types of slaves back then and what we tend to forget is that slavery is nothing new it's it's not just associated with african americans and the slave trade that took place in europe and in the uh, united states but even so when the slave trade was going on you know when it first started happening in the united states we were not the united states we were colonies So for those that are trying to shame and blame the United States going back that far, the slave trade in regards to it happening in the United States was happening in colonies specifically by the country of Spain. But needless to say, you know, the Egyptians, they had different types of slaves. It wasn't just the Hebrews. The Hebrews, they detested and they hated. They wanted them to suffer um, because they were God's holy people. So they had them do the grunt work, but there were different types of slaves. You know, there were Nubian slaves, there were Greek slaves, and Greek slaves were considered your Ferrari of slaves because Greeks were known as being very smart. A lot of them were physicians. They were very educated, so it was a big deal if you had a Greek slave. So what you have to remember is that when Pharaoh goes down to the river to bathe or to wash, whatever the case may be, she's not alone. So she pulls this basket from the river, and it has a child in it, she opens the basket and she sees that it's a little boy it's a baby boy and she knows immediately that this child was put in the river by his parents to save him from her father because she knows her her father's edict to kill all male childs or all male children that are newborn like a month old probably to like i don't know 9 months to a year i don't know how 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 far it went into that time frame but My point is this. She knew her her father's edict and she knew that this child was Hebrew. So she was not ignorant. She was not foolish. But God moved in her heart to have compassion for this little one. And I looked up the definition of compassion because I love looking up definitions because it's one thing to use a word, but it's another thing to know what a word means. The definition of compassion from dictionary.com is a feeling of deep sympathy and sorrow for another who is stricken by misfortune. Accompanied by a strong desire to alleviate the suffering. Another great tool to use is to look at the synonym of a word, which means a similar definition, a similar meaning. Some synonyms for compassion are mercy, tenderness, heart. It's very wonderful what this word means. So Pharaoh's daughter, she had tenderness for Moses. She had compassion for Moses. She felt sympathy for him. She felt all of this for this little baby because she knew That this baby, if she did not take it out of the river, was going to be murdered by um, her dad's soldiers. Because what you have to remember is that Pharaoh, you know, their social structure is completely different than ours today, especially with the United States, because Pharaohs did not have democracy. Pharaohs were seen as a god, and sometimes Pharaohs made themselves a god. And so the Egyptians, they had all these different gods. They had their go-to gods you know, that they always kept. But every once in a while they would have a pharaoh that would say, hey, you need to start worshiping me when I'm dead, like build a temple to me and then include me as one of your gods and I'll help you in the afterlife, you know, with X, Y, Z requests. But it's one of those things that the pharaoh, he, he was like all three branches of government. So basically everybody reported to him. And he had certain overseers in certain areas. So, for example, if we had a pharaoh in the United States, we would basically all be his servants. Every one of us in society. We would be basically reporting to him, even though we are citizens within this country. And then if we had people that were below us, people that were not citizens of this country, then those would be our slaves. Now... Also what this means is that Pharaoh, he had a military that directly reported to him. He did not have a Congress. He did not have a Senate. He didn't have anyone in his way to declare war or to go complete a mission. So when he gave the edict to have all these babies murdered, to be killed, they went out and did it because that was the society. That was the societal structure of their economy and of the, of the power of, of the Pharaoh. So they didn't think twice to do. It. And also they didn't think there was really anything wrong with killing a Hebrew because they viewed them as lower than dirt because there was a different type of slavery. Because, you know, there are different levels of slaves within a pharaoh's household. You have slaves that are very educated, like the Greeks. And then you have servants that, you know, maybe they are technically a slave. But their family has been under the protection of Pharaoh for their entire lineage. They may be branded. Like they literally brand their slaves or they put um, this anklet or this bracelet uh, article of jewelry around their arm or or their ankle to signify that this is someone's property and they belong to the Pharaoh. So if you were kind of a higher up servant or slave, you worked in the house of Pharaoh and you kept your mouth shut about everything that you saw and everything that that you saw happen and things that were said. That's what we see here with Pharaoh's daughter. She was down by the riverbank. She's going to bathe, and she's not alone. So she has all these witnesses. She has these servants, these slaves, and they see her take this baby from the river, and they know it's a Hebrew. More than likely, he was wrapped in a swaddling cloth that reflected of where this baby was from, from a certain tribe Within the Israelites. So these people were not ignorant. You know, these servants, these slaves, Pharaoh's daughter, they were not completely isolated or ignorant of what was going on. So she pulls this baby from the river. She has compassion for him. Um, Pharaoh's not Pharaoh. um, Moses's sister, who's Miriam. She was following the basket along the river. She wanted to see where it ended up. Her mother sent her and said, "Hey, follow the basket. We know that God will take care of this baby. He will give him a name. He will send him where he needs to go." And so Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, was following this basket, and she approached Pharaoh's daughter and said, "Would you like me to go get the child's mother so that this child can be basically breastfed from 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 her?" Because they know that Pharaoh, Pharaoh's daughter, doesn't have a baby. And, and she, she doesn't have any breast milk. So if she, here, here's one way to look at it. If she asks someone from her own household to breastfeed this baby, then she's going to have to explain, I pulled this child from the river. He's a Hebrew. Nurse him. No Egyptian woman would have nursed this baby. So she knew, Pharaoh's daughter, she knew to take Miriam up on her offer to go get the mother of this baby to suckle him. To give him the nutrients that he needs via breast milk. So Miriam goes and gets Moses' mother, which she is called a nurse, you know, to nurse the child. Moses' mother nurses him and then weans him and then gives him to Pharaoh's daughter to be her son. And Pharaoh's daughter, it says here in verse 10, and the child grew and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So right here we see that Moses is going from the pit to the palace already. And she called his name Moses and she said, because I drew him out of the water. What I want to make a point with this particular episode is when I saw that scene in the Ten Commandments, it really hit home. Just how beautiful God is and how loving he is towards his children because he saved Moses from being murdered and he had him put in the river by his mother in a basket. And what we tend to forget is that Egypt is not always the safest place, even back then, especially the River Nile. We tend to think of Egypt as luxury pyramids, gold, myrrh, frankincense, all this stuff. But the River Nile was a very dangerous body of water, probably still is. But back in those days, they had problems with hippopotami, which can be very aggressive. They can kill you. It was very common for Egyptians to be killed by hippopotami. And also they had crocodiles, which was very common for people to be eaten by those. And then once you get on the riverbank, there's a chance that you could you could be bitten by a scorpion and die. So Moses' mother knew that she was taking a huge risk putting her child in the river But she also knew that God is good and that He would provide a safe passage for her child and that God would protect him and get him where the Lord wants him to go. And He did. He very much did so. And we know that this is a fact because it's in God's Holy Word and we have other documentation of Moses' story. Like what people tend to forget is that, yes, the Holy Word is God's Holy Word, but it's also factual, it is a documentary. And there are also other resources, other documents that can show that this was a real person and the Israelites really were enslaved and they were released by their pharaoh. Because these peoples, once the Israelites were freed by pharaoh, they went and settled in all these different areas where God led them to go. So that's how you have descendants of the Israelites and the Hebrews that have ended up in different places in that region is because they were let go by the Egyptian Pharaoh. So we know that this is true. What I found interesting with this verse, and it says, and she called his name Moses. And she said, because I drew him out of the water. The thing that came to mind immediately when I read that was, what does God call us out of? Because if you think about this, river was technically a river of misery for Moses. It was very dangerous. It was very treacherous. He was a Hebrew slave. He was escaping murder. He could have easily been eaten by a hippopotamus or a crocodile. He could have easily been killed by a scorpion sting, which were very deadly. And there was basically no cure, no antidote back in those days for stuff like that. And I just looked at it as, you know, God knows our situation. He knows everything. He knows what we're going through. He knows our past. He knows what's going on right now. But he also knows our future. And he believes in our future. He believes in us. So I look at it this way: What is God calling you out of? What is your river of misery? Is your river of misery a poor lifestyle? Are you in poverty? Is your river of misery an addiction to drugs? Is your river of misery addiction to alcohol? Is your river of misery an addiction to pornography? Is your river of misery an addiction to anger? Meaning you get angry about every little thing and you curse or maybe you don't even curse. You just get excessively angry, which side note is very unhealthy for your heart, your lungs, your blood vessels and your arteries. Anger is very bad on your health. I mean, God gave us the ability to get angry, but not to live in anger. There's a difference when we get angry. It's usually because we know we have been we have been violated one way or another. Like some kind of wrong has been done against us. And our anger lets us know, hey, I don't like this. This is making me uncomfortable. Something needs to change here. But when you live in anger, it releases these different hormones into your bloodstream. And then those hormones, they go out and do different things to your organs. It it literally is that physical in your body. That's why the Lord says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger. Because it could literally kill you. And God doesn't want you to die like that. He wants you to have long life and to be blessed. And we can see that here with Moses. He guarded and protected him even when he was an infant. And he really needed to be guarded and protected because why? He was an infant. But God wanted him to have a long and wonderful life, and Moses did. He accomplished so much in his life. If you think about all the things that happened in Moses' life, the things he accomplished... And he could not do these things on his own. And Moses knew that. That's why he went to God with everything. And that's why God chose Moses to free his people. Was because he knew that Moses was humble. He was a good man. Had a good heart. And he wanted so much to help his people. And Moses knew it wasn't about him. He he knew it wasn't about him as an individual. He knew it was about God. And to give glory to God. Because when you give glory to God. In all your situations. All your circumstances. God will free you from whatever you are going through. He will. He did with Moses, he did with the Israelites. I mean, God freed millions of people from the grip of slavery, the grip of Pharaoh. No human being has ever freed that many slaves like that. That that has just not happened. And this was definitely unique because what you have to remember is that Egypt during this time was a world power. They were an empire. And so when God really punished Egypt for what they did to his people, it was known all over the world that there is only one God. You can have all these other gods if you want, but they're not going to give you anything because they're stone, they're marble, they're wood, they're metal, they're fake. They do nothing. They're they're just empty objects. But God is not an object and he's not empty. He is the one true God. And it took a God like our Heavenly Father to keep Moses safe, have Pharaoh's daughter pull him from the river. And also, think about her servants did not betray her. Her servants did not go rat on her to her father and say, hey, your daughter just really wants a baby so bad. She's she's willing to bring a, a, a Hebrew into your house and call him her son and make him an Egyptian prince. Look how look how horrible your daughter is her servants didn't do that they kept their mouth shut if that's not loyalty I don't know what is I mean that is, that is tremendous loyalty to her because they knew what Moses was but yet Moses was saved he was protected so I think it's important that we give God a chance to protect us that's why he calls us away From lifestyles that do not measure up to the goodness of God. You know, is is God pulling you, is he calling you out of the river of anxiety? Is he he calling you out of the the river of misery, of, of fear, dread, doubt, worry? I mean, anything that is outside of the goodness of God, pretty much you need to walk away from. Oh, here's one that just came to mind. Do you need to be pulled away from the river of misery of using the Lord's name in vain? That's a big one. The Lord's name in vain is used just casually these days. I never thought it would be. Because I remember when I was a little girl, I'm 37 now, but when I was a little girl, it was very rare to hear someone use the Lord's name in vain. And if they did, it was bad. Like you knew that person had problems. Because back in those days... When someone used the Lord's name in vain, when I was a little kid, it was unheard of to do that. It it just was. Now it's it's used every day, you know. J- just like, you know, the, the, the what's well, gonna say the um, the F bomb, as they say. And it shouldn't be like that. We should not have those kind of words coming out of our mouth because it dishonors God. But also, here, here's what's interesting: when we dishonor God, we dishonor ourselves. And when we dishonor ourselves, we dishonor God. So that's what I was talking about, referring to in a previous podcast, where God knows us as an individual. We are born as an individual, and we come together as the body of Christ. But it's our individual responsibility to answer that holy call on our life and to give it our our best. It's not just, well, I might do it. No, if you really know the calling on your life, you shouldn't hesitate. And if you're hesitating, then I would take that up in prayer and wonder, why am I hesitating to do the right thing? Why, why am I hesitating to believe in a good God, a good and loving God who loves all of his children? I mean, God loved Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't smite her. He loved her. And, and he helped her to have compassion on this little baby. If that's not the goodness of God, I don't know what is. Like, God loves all of his children. And plus, here's another thing. I'll mention this. When someone dies, because I think about this, like when, when Pharaoh's daughter died, sometimes it just makes me wonder, what, what is the status of her soul? Like, what did she believe in? Because we don't know much about Pharaoh's daughter. But I just wonder, I wonder if towards the end of her life, if she believed in the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And I wonder if she, if she gave her life to God, if she, you know, in her heart, if she turned away from paganism and went to the one true God. I just wonder because she would have known, you know, who Moses is in, in his lineage she would have known it's no accident that his basket floated right to her terrace because that's another thing we forget. You know, there were social statuses and social structures within the Egyptian empire, right? Because it's a kingdom. So Pharaoh's daughter, she's up at the top. So, you know, you have this entire society that, you know, wants to go bathe, right? But a Pharaoh's daughter is not going to bathe. With uh, the commoners, with the slaves. She had her own private terrace right outside her palace. Right outside her palace patio, I guess you could say. Because she was guarded and protected by the people that worked for Pharaoh. So it's no accident that God had Moses float in a basket directly to Pharaoh's daughter. And no one else touched his basket. Because if you think about it, Moses' mother put him in a basket in the village of where all those slaves were. The Hebrew slaves. And I guarantee you, the Pharaoh's palace was nowhere near these slaves. Because they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to see it. And plus, these slaves are building a city away from the Pharaoh's palace. like Usually like what slaves would do back then in the Egyptian empire is they would build the tomb of a pharaoh they would start building a tomb for a pharaoh once he took charge of the throne it's like every pharaoh wanted to have his own, um, I don't know if you call a mausoleum per se but they wanted to have their special touch I guess you could say on the land and try and kind of outdo each other you know my, my pyramid is grander than the previous one And because they didn't always know how long the Pharaoh was going to live, just like we don't know how long you and I are going to live. They would start working on the funeral, um, I guess, funeral construction plans for a temple or a pyramid when the Pharaoh dies so that he has a very special place to go so that he can have immediate access to the afterworld and have a really good life in the afterworld. But the people that built these, um, I call them funeral pyramids, but the people that built these were slaves, the bomb of the barrel slaves. And these were outside of the Egyptian well-to-do cities. You know, like I think there's a place that's called the Valley of the Kings. That's where a lot of these pharaohs were buried. Well, that little graveyard of royalty was not near a palace. It was far away from it. That's why you have all these pyramids that are not near each other. So when Moses is floating down the river in his basket, he had to float from pretty far away from the Pharaoh's palace. He, he floated down the river from his mother's village, a slave village, all the way down past probably all these other villages, past these little towns where non-slaves lived, where Egyptian citizens lived. And, and if you think about Moses is going from the pit to the lower class, to the middle class, to the upper class, to the palace. So he's passing all these different social status structures of society as he's floating down the river. Like God is moving him up one step at a time, just by flowing down that river. And he ends up right at the, I guess, at the doorstep or patio of Pharaoh's daughter. Because if you look at a map of Egypt... And you look at the rivers, and you look at where slaves lived, they were not near the major markets. They had their own markets within their slave villages, because that was just their life. It's almost like having ghettos. You know, It's kind of those things where when the Nazis rounded up the Jews and they put them in ghettos, that was their new home life, as horrible as it was. And they didn't leave that ghetto. But that's where they had their food, their water, their shelter, and they they didn't venture out. It's the same way with these villages that were slave villages. They were worker villages. They were not near Pharaoh's palace. So Moses had to float a long way down that river to get to Pharaoh's daughter. That doesn't just happen by accident. That's not just happenstance. That is very much intentional by our Heavenly Father. He guarded and protected him. And just think about it. Nobody pulled that basket from the river except Pharaoh's daughter because she was the intended person to help Moses and to love him as a son, to guard and protect him. And I just think, you know, what, did, what is God pulling us away from? Because if you think about it, part of the goodness of God is that he always wants what's best for us, right? So if he wants what's best for us, We have to be willing to take that leap of faith and allow God to move us from one level to the next level and just keep moving up. But if we are so stuck in our ways and we're not willing to give God a chance, then we're going to stay forever stuck in our own type of slavery, the slavery of of our of our mental anguish, the slavery of our soul. God doesn't want any of that. He wants he wants those shackles to fall off of you. Cause sometimes the biggest battle is in our mind. It really is, because we it's, a lot of times we we willingly believe stuff, but sometimes it's our mind that tells us, oh, that's not true. Don't believe that. Sometimes our mind can work against us. So you have to build, you have to help your brain build new neurological pathways that are positive. As opposed to negative and what I mean by negative ones is where you ruminate over stuff and you get angry or sad or depressed if ever you're having a strange thought or a negative thought or something that's not bringing you happiness cast that thought out of your brain immediately and just say no I don't think that way. I am happy I'm healthy I'm whole I have a good life I have a blessed life and I'm going to walk in the goodness of God every day of my life. Like you have to make that a firm decision. Just like how the Israelites, when they were in slavery, they did not give up on God. They knew that he was going to bring them a deliverer. And for 400 years they believed this. And they knew it would come to pass. That is such true dedication. They did not give up. They did not falter in their faith. They knew that God would honor his word. So all they had to do was wait for it to come to pass. And wait patiently. And they knew that in God's timing, it it would happen and it would set them free. And it did. I think it's important to remember that nothing is by accident. Just like if you're listening to this podcast, it's not an accident. There is a reason that God brought you to this podcast or brought you to this episode. There's a reason why you got a new job. And on the opposite side of that, there's a reason why you lost your job. So God can give you a better one. Always look for the best. Look for God's best. Because the way that I've had to choose to live my life, meaning I had to really make a firm decision on this, is that if it's not God's best, then I don't want it. I will only accept God's best. And that means you have to draw a line in the sand in your life. And going forward, that you only want what's best for you. And the simplest way to know that is to just take stock of what's going on in your life. Is it crazy? Is it disturbing? Is it out of control? Or or is it mellow? Or is it just kind of murky or in the gray? Or, Or is it unfulfilled? And then I would want to know, okay, what can I do to make this better? And the first thing to do is to go to God. Because on our own, we we cannot grasp the goodness of God. So it's important to go to God and give him a chance to help you. Because if you think about it, there was no way Moses could help himself as an infant. So God took care of him. And if God can take care of Moses, he can take care of you and me. And that's what he wants to do. Yes, we are adults. But we're also children of God. He gives us the opportunity to grow in his family. So that doesn't mean that that we just go, oh, well, God's going to have to do everything. I can't make any decisions. No, that's not what that means at all. It means that when you go to God, you will have wiser and better decisions. And I'm living proof of that big time. And plus, it will take a huge burden off of you when you go to God with specific requests. I think one of the worst prayers, I'll close with this, I think one of the worst prayers that people can lift up is, God, just just help me with everything, and then just end the prayer right there. Well, God wants to know, what is your everything? He knows what you need help with, but he wants you to acknowledge what you need help with. Because if you're not specific, then it's going to be very difficult to get help. It just is. Because if you're not being specific, then that's one way of not acknowledging of what's going on in your life. I've experienced that. I just thought, well, if I just pray a big general prayer, then everything will be taken care of. It doesn't work that way. You know, if God makes a covenant with his people, he's very specific. That's a very specific contract. That's a very specific covenant. So when we go to God with our request, our problems, our issues, or even our praise and our happiness and our joy, we need to be specific. Father, I need help with this. Or, Father, I want to thank you for this. Be very specific. And it's important to be specific because then your heart will not feel burdened. Because if you're just lifting up general, general prayers that don't really quantify what you want or need or they don't specify, you're not fooling yourself. Your brain, your heart, and your soul knows that you're not being specific. So then you're not going to feel fulfilled. And you may not see your prayer come to pass because you were not specific. Because if you think about it, you know, King David, whenever he lifted up a prayer, he was very specific with God. I mean, that's look at the entire book of Psalms. He is very specific, whether it's his joy, his agony, um, his his frustration or his, you know, happiness, whatever the case may be. He was very specific So I encourage you, be very specific with God and watch him move mountains for you. Watch your faith grow. It's a beautiful thing. It happened in my life. I pray that it happens for you. But I will go ahead and end this podcast. And as usual, I pray that you're happy, healthy, and whole. And do check out um, the book of Exodus in the second chapter. It's a really good one. And I was reading from my new Bible, the King James Version, that real pretty one that I got online. So until next time, have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.